Today on the Tapping Show, Starbucks Union proclaims support for Hamas attacking Israel. Vivek critique on Lizzie Graham's pro-war interview goes viral. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says the U.S. can afford to give money to both Israel as well as Ukraine. Captain Marvel is yet another signature Disney box office flop. A 1981 DeLorean with three pedals is found with only 977 miles on the odometer. Ford, LinkedIn, and Rolls-Royce Holdings all announced layoffs. And Rite Aid files for bankruptcy after a myriad of lawsuits. All that much is more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of the Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added resource and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice a day. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, you see, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. And for the entire month of October, we're giving away a free 37mm flare launcher. With every 37K or more purchase, go to toppingtechnologies.com to learn a little bit more. Also trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of October. So if you can click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Now going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Ford laying off 700 workers at the F-150 Lightning plant. Good God, how will drivers be able to strand themselves on the sides of the roads when it inevitably has the battery die? Now, interestingly enough, Ford specifically said this, these layoffs are not correlated to the ongoing strike against them via the United Auto Workers, also known as the UAW. It's their big contract that every, comes up every four years where this year they wanted a mere, just, just a mere, 80 to $100 billion over the course of four years, which subsequently would have bankrupt Ford. Well, as well as Chrysler, well, Chrysler again and GM again, given how much profits they are currently making. Now, this is actually due to a few issues. The Ford F-150 Lightning being their EV truck, which again, I don't know if they just reached the full demand already for how many people who want an electric truck. Because again, the purpose of a truck, and I know not everyone buys a truck to tow, and I'm, saying don't, I'm not saying you don't have to. Or that you necessarily need to tow in order to, well, I, no, 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 I am kind of saying that. To properly utilize a truck, it is intended to haul things and tow things. And with the current battery technology we have now, that basically makes it useless. Because you really can't tow much with an EV truck because it depletes the battery so much. The only good use case I can think of in terms of EV semi-trucks with Tesla is coming out with is things where the products weigh nothing. Which, there is a use case for that. PepsiCo free delay. They own 60, what, 68% of the salty snack aisle. A majority of the things you're transporting when it's like chips and Fritos and Doritos and all the toes, although hopefully not a human toe because that'd be a lawsuit, although probably happened by now. But nevertheless, those bags of chips and things, bags of salt, is mostly air. So because of the weight being so little, that would make sense from a mass transportation logistics in terms of having an EV semi-truck. So there's a use case for it. Now, when it comes to a truck that you and I might purchase in terms of a not semi-truck commercial vehicle, well, if you want to tow your camper, you can't really do that. So, in terms of the EV pickup truck market, I kind of think Rivian has gotten a big, a big portion of the people who wanted that niche product. They want a truck that can't really truck, so to say. And F-150 Lightning, they had a couple of issues already in terms of quality control. Now, thankfully, no one died from it. At least physically. I mean, emotionally, when you purchase one of those vehicles, you subsequently die a little inside, I suspect. But when it comes to the Ford F-150 Lightning, they did have the batteries, just a little bit of issue. They burst into flames at the proving grounds. Now, 
terms of the most opportune place for that to happen, that's where you want it to happen. Proving grounds is AKA the testing facilities where they're trying to see what's wrong with the vehicles before they actually mass produce it. And that turned out to be an issue with the battery manufacturer. So they subsequently fixed that, but they had to shut down the assembly line for, I believe it was uh, about six weeks. So they could per they just could not produce that truck for the 18 or 19 people who still wanted it. Now, they also upgraded that same plant. So they shut down the plant once because you know, had to figure out why these things are exploding. And then twice, they actually shut it down so they could revamp and basically reorganize and re refurbish and refresh the plant so they could produce more of this specific vehicle. Now, it looks like in terms of the sales for it, but kind of a fiscal evidence behind this, they say that the sales of the F-150 Lightning fell 45% in the third fiscal quarter compared to a quarter earlier. So again, there's a lot of these things where you have the early adopters who are the people who are inebriated, let's say, perhaps are drinking Bud Light, but they will pay over hundred grand sticker price for an F-150 Lightning. Someone did. It blows my mind that someone has such vast wealth or you're just foolish with money and they just take out a huge loan for 200 grand against a vehicle that's going to depreciate to nothing very quickly. But you have the early adopters for a lot of technologies, like the Apple iPhone 29, 58, whatever they're on now. There are people who will buy it before it's really vetted out, before there's a lot of consumer reviews on the product. So there's always going to be your early adapters for pretty much every technology. It seems like everyone who's an early adapter for the Ford F-150 Lightning already has it. And again, in terms of, are you buying a car right now? Like, now is not a great time to make vehicles for sales. In terms of just the economy, you got 40-year hyperinflation. Again, I'm not a doctor, but if you click the subscribe button, it may fix my stuttering issue. It perhaps is more legitimate than the Mayo Clinic, some might say. Debatable. But in terms of purchasing a vehicle right now, you have record high interest rates, thanks to the U.S. government printing more money than it ever printed before. And you have a lot of uncertainty with businesses. They don't know if they're going to be taxed to death. They're going to, they don't even know if they're going to be out-regulated into existence or just ruled, deemed un illegal by the U.S. government. So depending on what industry you're in, you might not even exist tomorrow. So there's so much uncertainty, a lot of businesses are starting to pull back on their spending. And which just kind of leads to, would you go out and buy a vehicle? Now, granted, my family is a lot more frugal than most. My parents still drive a 2001 Honda Accord they purchased new, which also shows you the feat of Japanese engineering and non-unionized labor. It still works. 2001 Honda Accord still works like a champ with an internal combustion engine. It's a little disappointing they got the inline four as opposed to V6 at the time, but nevertheless, it still works. My Honda Civic, I'm going to drive that thing till the wheels fall off, and subsequently I'll probably... Actually, they won't fall off because it's a Honda. But... I look for a great ROI, and in terms of longevity of a product, that'll last for quite some time. I'm not going to trade it in anytime soon, or ever for that matter. So you have this F-150 Lightning. The sales are just crumbling precipitously to nothing. The Cybertruck will eventually be produced, allegedly. And you'll have the Tesla fanboys who want that, of course, because Tesla has built a very huge cultural cult following. But in terms of the truck market, again, the first to market is already done. Rivian already got, I believe that was the first mass-produced EV truck. So with so many people who already purchased it, how many people are really left realistically at this point? And Ford said they expect that there to be an increase in sales <laughs> during the first three months of the year and they expect the capacity to increase. And they claim that demand for the overall demand for EV vehicle lineups remains strong. 
a 65 increase in the third quarter compared to last year, which it'll be interesting to see. They're making a lot of claims, but at the end of the day, what's the fiscal sales coming down to? When are they really coming in? So it'll be interesting. Let me know, would you ever buy an F-150 Lightning? Are you surprised that sales for the product have just dropped like a rock? Which is moderately ironic or a little funny when you think of the old Ford commercials where they used to say they're built like a rock or built tough or something to that effect. Although they subsequently have many, many recalls. Nevertheless, they are built. That that, that much is a fact. I did fact check that and Snopes did say yes, they are built. But let me know the comments. Would you ever buy an F-150 Lightning for your fleet or your primary vehicle? And unfortunately, I did do a fact check. They do not come with a gas or diesel generator to put in the bed of the truck, which subsequently you will need to actually charge the vehicle if you ever run out of electricity. I was gonna say, of all the promos to have where you get a free knickknack when you purchase a vehicle or product, how they haven't thought of teaming up with a good old Briggs and Stratton generator, good old Wisconsin company, throw that in the bed of the truck, put a Slipe Ford logo on there, then maybe that would increase your sales. But perhaps I'm just too creative for Ford today. Other interesting business news, you have LinkedIn announcing they're going to lay off 3% of their staff, which equates to about 668 employees during the second time of the year. Now, I should say, this is the second round of layoffs. It looks like earlier in the year, they laid off about 700 employees. And crazy enough, they kind of remind me of Twitter in terms of being more bloated than perhaps a government entity and having a lot of layers of bureaucracy that's not needed and just being overall inefficient and inept. Or perhaps I'm just a little annoyed that LinkedIn won't take my money when I try to actually do a sponsored ad for a happy hour or a cigars and cybersecurity. Literally turning money down. Perhaps not the brightest idea of Microsoft, aka their parent company. Now, crazy enough, you think of LinkedIn, how much effort it takes to create it, to code it, to maintain it. How many employees do you think you could successfully run that company with? Maybe 2,000, maybe maybe 4,000, 5,000 maybe. They have 20,000 employees at LinkedIn. That is so much fat. You, there's just so much more you could trim. 20,000 employees for a website? That's ridiculous, to say the least. And of course, it's also Microsoft, or you know, parent of Microsoft, so they basically are government in terms of how they operate, but I can't help but see the parallels between Twitter. When Elon purchased Twitter, or now called X, whatever the hell you want to call it, there's about 7,000 employees now, he trimmed most of the fat, and he got down to 2,000 employees, and the reaction is about the same or arguably better when the customer is interfacing with the product. Which begs the question, what are all these people doing who allegedly have jobs and allegedly work at LinkedIn? Now, it'd be nice if you were actually to lay off the inept people who are in the censorship department, and they actually censored me a couple times. One of which, all I did was put my company logo for the top technology company I own. I put our logo on a couple PMAGs, which breaks my heart if you're not already an enthusiast, but if you're not familiar, a PMAG is the standard magazine for the AR-15. Holds 30 rounds of standard capacity from the factory when it was invented by Eugene Stoner back in the day, ironically enough, in California. But we thought it'd be a fun giveaway for events because we do a lot of sh shooting events. One of our signature events being cybersecurity event by the name in which we call Shoot Suppress, Suppress Security Fears, in which we talk about cybersecurity capabilities, our partners, and we shoot some suppressed pistols and rifles and everyone has a blast, pun intended. 
Now, we thought it'd be cool to put our logo on a couple of mags or magazines. So we did a couple of variations with different designs and different, one was black and white, one was a color logo. And I put it on LinkedIn and I said, hey, let me know, what do you think would be the best design? Vote by saying, I think I had the thumbs up sign, the happy sign, all the little LinkedIn options you have because before after they edited the like button to now do multiple things, very similar to Facebook as it's basically become Facebook for professionals. And I got about 5,000 views before, bam, it struck down. And hilariously enough, about half the comments were people bombastically saying they're going to unfriend me because I had the audacity to put our logo on a magazine. I'm sorry. I thought you were American. Well, subsequently, many of those people were all... Actually, I did analysis... I did lose a couple hundred friends and actually looked at the comments. 75% of the people who said they were unfriended me, they were headquartered in California or based in California. But it's one of those instances where I looked at the feedback from LinkedIn and they claim it was spam. Which is ridiculous because I, I wasn't soliciting a sale. I wasn't saying buy this for a nickel or buy this for a dollar. I wasn't advertising a product for sale. I was asking for feedback on what the audience thought was the best design for a giveaway that we would give to prospective and current clients. So they use a B, very similar to most tech companies, most social media companies, they gave a BS reason for why they really banned me. Because they just hate America, freedom. And I'm actually not being too bombastic considering most Americans, if you own a rifle, the odds are it is an AR-15 since over 50% of AR-15s sold are, sorry, over 50% of rifles sold in the United States are of the AR-15 style design. Partially because the patent expired, so anyone with an FFL and the proper licensing can manufacture one for commercial sale. Or if you just live in a freedom state and you make it for yourself, you can keep it, although remember, I'm not a lawyer. Though I do suit up like every man should. Now specifically, unfortunately, LinkedIn, of all the people they could fire, get rid of, of all the inept people that work there, of all the all the fat they could trim, they're getting rid of people that are not in censorship positions, unfortunately. Now specifically, it looks like that they're gonna get rid of specifically employees in the engineering, talent, and finance teams. Which, I was going to say, I can't help but think a lot of those talent positions you can probably eliminate just by giving them a free LinkedIn premium. And especially if they're recruiters, that's an easy position to outsource. In terms of, especially LinkedIn, you look at the power users, and very similar to any business, you have the 80-20 principle, where 80% of results come from 20% of your consumers, 20% of your products sold. And with LinkedIn, majority of traffic generated on the platform and the people are actually using it every single day are the two power users. You have sales representatives and you have recruiters. Those people are on LinkedIn religiously every single day, including myself. And I can't help but think a couple of those recruiters, a lot of them are paying for LinkedIn Premium, Navigator, Banana, Wild, Banana Falcon, Zebra. Microsoft likes to change nomenclature of all their advertising products, seemingly just to confuse everyone. But they have these premium packages. I think they range from $700 to $1,500. Well, just give give a recruiter who's someone who's going to pay for it. Say, all right, give it free, but you're also going to recruit for us now. Can't help but think that. That'd be probably a good idea. In terms of engineering, it'd be interesting to see how it affects the platform. Don't get me wrong. In terms of gainful employment, I never, I mostly don't want people to lose their jobs. It's one of the things where I hope these folks find gainful employment in another competitor or in another tech company. But it is interesting they're decreasing the engineering resources. Granted, I don't know how much are necessarily needed for the web development and all the features they're pushing out. Now, interestingly enough, and more hilariously enough in terms of proving my point of why don't you like business and making money, Microsoft, 
Microsoft cited a slowdown in hiring with a decline in advertising spending as for the main reasons why they are decreasing their headcount recently. And remember, Microsoft, very similar to pretty much every social media company, because they are a social media company, and when I say Microsoft, that's the parent company of LinkedIn. With LinkedIn, most people use it for free. I mean, most of the folks on there aren't paying for it. Very similar to Twitter, very similar to Facebook. Again, most people who are paying for it are people who are either sales reps, either recruiters, and they're paying for those extra features so you can see more people, you can send more messages to folks. But it's mostly supported by advertising because people sponsor ads as well. Unless you want to advertise a happy hour or a cigar and learn. Which again, which still boggles my mind since to be on LinkedIn, you're an adult looking for a job or you're, you want to network professionally. Why would you ban something that every adult can partake in is, is beyond me. Now, in terms of the company increasing their community size, they're actually up to 950 million users. Now, it'll be interesting to see if LinkedIn could keep increasing the adoption rate of having more and more people sign up for a profile. Because it's one of those things, I don't think the market is saturated yet in terms of the people who have jobs who are not already on LinkedIn. I think there's still about a lot of ramp up you can do in that regard. And realistically, there's not much competition. So it'll be interesting to see what methodologies they use, but I don't think the margin, I think there's plenty of room for them to continue to grow is what I'm trying to say in terms of a user count. And they'll be interested in to see what kind of methodologies they use to try to get there. Now, in terms of the industry, it looks like the tech industry has laid off 141,560 employees in the first half of the year compared to about 6,000 a year ago, according to employment firm Challengers, Gray and uh, from, from Challenger. So it'll be interesting to see, and it's kind of fascinating. You have some people like United Auto Workers who want record, you know, record contracts, what was it, 40 plus percent increases was the first ask for their wages as well as most industries that are laying people off interesting contrast let me know in the comments do you think will linkedin continue to grow in terms of the user count and eventually their overall size or do you think they're kind of bloated they can probably trim about half the employees there and no one would tell difference in terms of the end user experience when you're working with the microsoft linkedin product it'll be interesting to see but as i always say time shall tell other interesting business use, you have Rolls-Royce Aerospace layoff, 2,500 jobs, and a cost-cutting attempt. Fascinating. Now, it is a little interesting to note that, you know, back in the day, like many companies that used to be much more diversified, Rolls-Royce that you see in terms of the cars on the streets, it's a completely separate entity. So, it's a little disappointing they no longer share the same engine platforms or anything like that. But, in terms of the car company Rolls-Royce that you and I anecdotally see more of the streets depending on what streets you're on i mean that was spun off years ago to bmw so interestingly enough if you see a rolls royce it's a bmw or it's owned by bmw i won't get into the nuances on where it's assembled and all that kind of stuff but in terms of the rolls royce the og as the youth might say well this one is actually specifically for rolls royce holdings so layoffs are specifically for the engine manufacturing company to which to this very, they got their, you know, start back in the day by making these massive, huge, fascinating engines for a myriad of vehicles. And now they're, these days are best known for making some of the best aerospace or specifically jet propulsion vehicles for airliners and a myriad of other applications. Now, it'll, it, interesting to see, they're trying to get rid of 2,500 staff as part of their cost-cutting drive initiative by its new CEO. Now, 
I'm not too surprised in terms of when you have a new CEO come on, you want to try and make a lot of changes. Ideally, you want to try and make the company more profitable for the shareholders, make sure you take care of your customers, employees. And they noted that the job cuts will likely be distributed across the engine manufacturer's global operations, likely to be affected 100 jobs at the UK office. And they also noted that they had experienced a strong recovery under, and I'm going to put, I'm going to butcher this gentleman's name. I apologize to the new CEO, uh, Tuffin, T-U-F-A-N or Tufan. And he took over as CEO last January and has since said the firm's cost base has been, quote, tightly managed to offset inflationary cost pressures, unquote. So it'll be interesting to see what used to be, yeah, for many years, let me people consider blue chip, chip stock since they are manufacturing for all these giant companies. It's one of those things where we see an airplane, it's probably one of the most diverse products in terms of the number of components that go in there from separate manufacturers to come together and make it work. It'll be interesting to see, anecdotally speaking, I feel like people are flying a lot less these days. It'll be interesting to see the decrease in orders from the airplane manufacturers and how many of them is that going to trickle down and how tight they might have to tighten their belt at Rolls-Royce. It'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Now going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Starbucks Union tweets support for Hamas attacking Israel. Uh, some people are not too surprised. And yet another reason to be worried about unions taking over companies and making companies look bad. Because again, there is our, now this is sparking a, sparking a boycott. And again, this isn't Starbucks, the company. This is the union, the unionized workers of the company. So again, it's making Starbucks look terrible. And yet, bless his heart, I guess he's no longer the company, unfortunately, or no longer the uh, chairman and leading company, uh, Mr. Um, Charles uh, Holt Schultz. What is his last name? It's going to drive me crazy. I just read his book last month. The Starbucks way... Howard Schultz. Brain fart there. I was going to say, let me know in the comments if you want like an office tour or something. I just reference a bookshelf that you can't see out of frame. But nevertheless, since he's left the company, things have, I would venture to say things are probably going to get a little bit worse. Now, the union founder said that it must be free to express his solidarity with Palestine. Now, again, the big spark of the flame, so to say or igniting the flame, is the fact that they're talking about Hamas, which is, I don't know in terms of where people fall on in terms of your beliefs, but most of the research you'll, I've seen, at least, is that they're a pretty pro-terrorism group, that they're founded with the intent to get rid of Israel. So I, I don't see a lot of traditional support for Hamas, but this union says they're great, apparently. Now, this is thanks to an article by ynetnews.com, and of course they do reference the direct tweets from them as well. Now, one of these tweets comes from, and of course, in terms of true union marketing, which, again, while I don't agree with it, their marketing in terms of their logo is on point. Now, they have the cliche fist, and the fist with the Starbucks union has a Starbucks cup in the middle. So, I was going to say, they get, for that logo, they get a B-plus for marketing because they're getting their point across of what their beliefs are. Now... This tweet is Starbucks Workers United, and they say they did a retweet. So they say Solidarity with Palestine, and they retweeted a bulldozer operated by Gaza resistance tearing through Israel occupation fence erected on the border. And they, again, this is a quote, literally breaking apart the Israel-created mass prison at the Strip. And they also tweeted support, and this is where, let's see, I'm going to go to the very top and rewind this for a New York minute here. 
So specifically, it looks like Starburst Workers, United Local, Local Labor Unions in Chicago, Boston, Iowa also published post on their official social media pages accusing Israel of provoking Hamas attacks, uh, apartheid, and the oppression of Palestinian people, unquote. And this is from the union. They say, quote, we stand in solidarity with the Palestine people and condemn the IDF for the senseless and brutal bombing of innocent Palestinians, murder and injury, as well as for the creation and financing of Hamas in the 1980s to discourage Palestine solidarity, unquote. And that was from one of the unions in Boston. They also noted that one of the nation's union's founders, Jazz Brizak, shared the tweets and other posts condemning Israel, quote, this should not have been considered controversial. Human rights are not up to debate. Unions must be free to speak up on this or our solidarity isn't real, unquote. Which, yes, thanks to free speech, we know exactly where you stand on this issue, which, again, is not a good thing about, well, I always proclaim that everyone should have the ability for free speech because if you don't agree with someone, you probably want to know where they stand on the issues or actually, how do you know if you don't agree unless they say something? Well, these days you have certain signals. But nevertheless, it looks like BLM, what is this? BLM Chicago also did a tweet saying, I stand with Palestine, and they had the paraglider, the parachute men, in which, with a Palestine flag on it, which, oh, I'd say B minus for marketing, does it, no, I'd say C minus, nah, D, D, F minus for marketing, their flag is not very inspirational, but nevertheless, it's one of those things where, that was where they had soldiers, or terrorists actually, would go down with a parachute, and went to a concert, and gunned innocent people down. So BLM in Chicago is proclaiming that's good. They literally tweeted, that is all that it is. Then they have that picture that says, I stand, and then they have the parachuter. Which is reason 1,998,558,365 to never acquiesce and give up your right to defend yourself and your family, aka the Second Amendment. There's a lot of parallels being drawn with the old film by the name of Red Dawn. People always wonder, oh, when would the bad guy ever parachute from the sky? Well, it happened yet again. Now, going down into the article, it'll be interesting to see. So Starbucks, interesting, let's see here. Now, you already have a lot of senators and a lot of folks actually pushing back on it. Because, again, in terms of moves on the political, political chessboard, it's a pretty... I'm surprised more politicians aren't jumping on this bandwagon. It's a very popular thing to say because I believe it is also the morally right thing to say in terms of... I mean, it's disgusting when one group of people are killing innocent civilians, which is what Hamas is doing in many of these instances. We have evidence of it. Now, it looks like Senator Rick Scott specifically calling out Starbucks saying, quote... This is disgusting. Every American should condemn the atrocities that Iran-backed Hamas terrorists committed in Israel. Boycott Starbucks until its leadership strongly denounces and takes action against this hor horrific support of terrorism, unquote. That's just something that Rick Scott actually put on the Twitter. Now, interestingly enough, this is also the detriment of unions. You can't control them. Like, in terms of Starbucks, the company, and again, they're very left on many issues, politically speaking, but... Again, this is the awkward thing where they're not supposed, they're representing Starbucks in the worst possible light, but they're the union, they're not the company, which is, again, a precarious, awkward situation. And 
Also another great example of use cases of, oh dear God, they unionized what's happening next and oh dear God. Now, it looks like someone at Starbucks claimed something. Now, they said this is, let's see here. Starbucks distances itself from the posts in a statement saying, quote, Starbucks strongly disagrees with statements on acts of terror made by Workers United. We unequivocally condemn acts of terrorism, hates and violence and dis disagree with the statements and views expressed by, by Workers United and its members. Workers United's words and actions belong to them and them alone, unquote. Now, the issue is, though, they're working for your company. They're the union of Starbucks. But again, so people are boycotting Starbucks, which if you're against unions, that's also another good reason to, to boycott them as well. I'd also argue in terms of kind of the, I, I still blows my mind how weak many Americans have become mentally, well, and physically. It was trending on TikTok a couple months back where there's a Starbucks worker crying, allegedly a man. Although, no, I would have, upon retrospect, I would call him a boy. But this boy was crying at Starbucks because the orders are complicated and he had to work eight hours. I was going to say, I should, have brought, I should bring some pins so you could hear a pin drop of how pathetic that is. I mean, my grandpa worked in an aluminum foundry in Michigan for years, seven days a week, without complaining once. And now we have these boys complaining, oh, the orders are too complex, they don't stop. The only reason your job exists, the only reason Starbucks exists at all and can make a profit is because of these ridiculously complex orders with more ingredients than you can possibly count or pronounce. That's how they're so profitable. It's very complex, customized drinks. And consumers are willing to pay for it and they put a premium on that product. And yet now they're crying because of that. And life is hard, they claim. Ridiculous. Now, interestingly enough, there's a comment section on this article, thankfully. So let's go to the comment section and see what people are saying. Some by the name of Roy Finglam saying, quote, boycott them unless workers who posted this are dismissed, unquote. He got two likes. Now, it looks like someone responded to him by the name of Tom Clean saying, quote, the morons who run the union get paid not to work, unquote. Which, yes, that's true. Like a divorce attorney, they're not on the front lines. It's a different role. And their role is mainly to cause conflict and between the two parties because that's how they could justify their job, I would argue. And they get paid copious amounts of money to do that. Some by the name of Lev Slavondik said, quote, no more Starbucks coffee for me, unquote. Some by the name of Sheila Ramon said, quote, another iconic American brand is about to bite the dust. Their drinks were overpriced anyways. I will always go to 7-Eleven for my morning jolt, unquote. She got three likes on the social media. Well, I guess this isn't really social media. It's in the news article page at ynetnews.com. And it is one of those very, very interesting things where it should be very easy to boycott Starbucks for a myriad of reasons in addition to your pocketbook. Because there are a lot of alternatives. Now, in terms of my anecdotal experience, where I appreciate Starbucks in terms of their conveniences, um, it's kind of just a mobile office. So if I'm on the road for my IT company on between meetings, for a price of a coffee, I can basically get a mobile office. I could use my personal hotspot. Or if you don't care about security, use their Wi-Fi. I don't recommend that. But nevertheless, you got a nice table you can use, and you can actually just get a, little, a couple things done. Now, it'll be interesting to see let me know in the comments, do you think there'll be a mass boycott of Starbucks? Again, it should be, it's very easy. It's a very expensive coffee. It would be better for your pocketbook these days and everyone should be tightening their belt with economic uncertainty. And there's a lot of other places you can go as well. Also, if you're like me and you look for the best ROI, you could just go to the big box mart, buy a big 
bag of the cheapest whole bean coffee, grind it at home, and just make it yourself. Which, it's hard to beat that ROI. So it'll be interesting to see. Do you think there'll be a mass boycott against Starbucks? Are people kind of fed up with boycotts? Has the culture gotten to the point where people are just overwhelmed? There's too many things to boycott? Or perhaps could Starbucks be the next Bud Light? It'll be interesting to see, but as you know me, I always say, time. Shout out. Other interesting culture news, they had a 1981 DeLorean with only 977 miles on the odometer is found. And thankfully, it does have three pedals, like every vehicle should. Also known as a manual transmission, also known as the most fun you'll ever have while driving, also known as you'll never have to worry about the dangers of texting or driving or drinking a coffee while driving and distracted by driving because you are one with the vehicle. You are having a blast. Fun intended because it is done with an internal combustion engine, also known as the most fun you can have and also known as the thing that will last a quarter of a million miles or, I should say more than that, actually a quarter of a century or a million miles if you buy Japanese. Now, this is one of those things where from a business perspective, and if I had an unlimited budget, I would get a DeLorean for the background. I have no idea how much structural reinforcement I would need for this wall behind me to mount a DeLorean, but in terms of business history, DeLorean is fascinating. John DeLorean was a genius. He literally engineered some of the most beautiful vehicles ever made when he was one of the heads at General Motors back in the day. And one of the most iconic things he ever made was the Pontiac GTO. And I'm talking about the one in the 60s that was made in America, not the one that was subsequently made in Australia that was imported, I believe, from 2005 to 2007, give or take, which was a fun vehicle, but it's not really a GTO. I'm talking about the GOAT. And this one comes thanks to a barn find, literally a barn find in Dowsman. Now, in terms of the business history of DeLorean, John DeLorean, he founded the company. Interestingly enough, they're all made in Ireland, thanks to tax incentives, which also is a good business lesson is businesses, like people react to incentive. So every couple, it seems like every couple of years, Ireland has some really good business incentives. You even saw this with technologies like EMC, a big storage company, and, and we're also a partner at Top Technologies. A lot of their hardware was manufactured there for a few years because of the tax incentives. So John DeLorean set up the assembly there and it was a brilliant futuristic vehicle. A little disappointing, the engine was a little underpowered. Thankfully you can do a LS swap or a V8 swap as many vehicles should by default. But it was a fascinating futuristic design. The stainless steel body is iconic. The detriment of the DeLorean, unfortunately, was that Back to the Future came out a couple years too late. And it was one of those things where people, he was entrapped and he had this situation where he had financial issues and he was accused day one, of course, of being an embezzler. Cover your ears if you have children listening, but having a dealing with uh, cocaine. And of course, years later, he was proven innocent. And of course, that was page six of the New York Times, as they always say, accused page one, acquitted page six. But it's one of those things where after that movie came out, it really was iconic. It's a futuristic, beautiful vehicle. Perhaps the only, and Tesla's trying to manufacture the Cybertruck almost as a homage to the, the original materials that they used. If you're on the streets, you never see a stainless steel body on the road. You see, everything you see is painted. Or if you're really fancy, you get a really nice sports car with clear carbon fiber. And the issue that Tesla's coming around with is it's very hard to accurately manufacture these panels. Especially, Tesla also wants them to be very straight, which, again, the tolerance is needed. But nevertheless, DeLorean was a great entrepreneurial story. And 
he certainly made a dent in the universe, as I would say. I mean, every time you watch that, every time you see one, you think of that film. Unfortunately, the company was already bankrupt by the time the film came out. Now, in, in terms of who found this, it looks like Mike L. Clatton is, or L. Hatton, Mick, Mick L. Hatton, Mick L. Lotton. That sounds right. Now, he is actually a part of the Illinois-based DeLorean Midwest. He got a call from apparently New Mexico about a DeLorean car for sale, claiming that, and then he found out it's got 977 miles. That's nothing. That's basically factory new. Now, it looks like in terms of the actual find, the car was manufactured in April 1981 and appeared to be mostly, if not completely original, even down to the blue oil filter. And even the, it even had factory tires on it. And plenty of tread on them, of course, because it wasn't driven too hard for that, all, that 977 miles. And it is one of those beautifully fascinating time capsules. And, I mean, nowadays, there's a little period where a DeLorean was worth basically nothing, but a brilliant entrepreneur in, in the best state of the Union, TXS, they actually bought out all the surplus because there were old panels and old vehicle components still in Ireland. They all imported them to the United States a couple years back. So there's a full restoration plant and facility for DeLoreans in Texas. And nowadays, they actually are priced up because they're collectibles. They're going everywhere from, you know, maybe fifty dollars to $90,000. Again, depending on the conditions. Plus, capacitor does usually help. And it'll be interesting to see how much, if they're going to try to restore this or if they're going to auction it off. But in terms of a fun culture story of the day, this really just, it caught my eye because it's such a unique, fascinating thing. And let me know in the comments, do you want to see more car stories like this? As you know, I'm a big fan of the manual transmission. The Three Pal Gang is our fan club here as we just launched with YouTube monetization. And I can't thank everyone in the comments enough, especially Johnny Tsunami and a lot of the top commenters. And really helps the channel grow and develop. And we're trying to make it better and better every day. So I do appreciate the additional feedback in the comments section. But let me know in the comments. Do you want to see kind of more of these unique car stories like this? And what other stories might you find more interesting that I could look into? Let me know. I'd be fascinated to hear what you have to say. Other interesting cultural news, you have Captain Marvel. Yet another signature Disney flop. It is one of those fascinating things where Disney it used to be a blue chip, a blue chip stock. Again, I'm not a doctor, but if you click the subscribe button, it may cure my stuttering. It's a theory I'm working on, and it may very well bear some fruition, as they might say. Now, Disney used to be considered a blue chip stock, especially when I was a child. I was weird. I was very unusual. I was interested by business and finances even at a young age. Now, a blue chip stock is really something that you consider just kind of a sure bet, so to say. You knew that, unlike a tech company, where tech companies are very well known for you know big spikes or it might go up really quick, but then they might go down. They fluctuate a lot more. But Disney used to be very consistent. So you know, you're not going to get rich overnight if you bought Disney stock, but you know, consistently it would grow over time. Hence blue chip stock. Now they've lost about $2 billion on the past 13 movies they've made. They're bleeding money every single time nearly. Not just by a couple, I've never seen a company fail this bad. Well, perhaps that'd be a point of contention, Bud Light versus Disney. The Battle of the Ineptitudes. Who is the business business blunder of the century? That might be might uh, might warrant some further investigation. Now, 
This is thanks to an article from boxofficepro.com, which A plus for marketing. I know exactly what they're doing as a website without having to look at a Wikipedia page or further research. Now, it looks like 2020, they, this is coming from an article by the name of Sean Robbins. And let me know, would you be interested or would you prefer or appreciate a picture-in-picture picture when I'm referencing articles? And again, if you have suggestions for software for production, I appreciate those suggestions as well as I'm trying to find a new one where we can actually do video and video or picture-in-picture picture while I'm making it as opposed to post and then doing it in edit, which I would say is above my pay grade and complexity just because I'm doing it all myself right now. And I appreciate the tips and some of these things I'm I'm using Blackmagic DaVinci for the editing software currently. But in terms of the time maximization and being, you know, trying to get you the product as soon as possible, I want to try to do it during production. So that's a probably too too long didn't read or uh, too much of a backstory so to say, but that's kind of the reasoning behind my ideas. Now, this is from Shauna and they're saying really this is the projections opening Disney opening or opening weekend range 50 million to 75 million. Now let's see here. It's one of those things where again this is a Marvel film, so it's one of those things. I think the periods of time where some films are really knock out of the park and, and some just fail epically. Marvel used to well Disney bought them, that was a smart acquisition until they just ran into the ground. They used to print money as well. I mean, it was pretty much a sure thing. It would be, oh yeah, billion dollar hit, billion dollar, billion dollar. Lots of revenue, easy money. Throw in uh, Johnny Duke, not Johnny Depp. Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, throw in Robert Downey Jr. and a couple of other actors, throw on some CGI suits, and billion dollars. And explosions and perhaps a story or plot line. Allegedly, I hear they have those. I, I don't really know how much evidence there is of that. But... They used to make billions of dollars, but then, very similar to Star Wars, they saturated the market, I believe, with so much volume of production, they just lost all value. So, now there's just so many, does it really matter if you don't see this one? As opposed to back in the day, there might just be one good Marvel movie a year, and it's going to be a big one, so you have more incentive to go out and see it. And, in terms of the actual numbers, the release dates for this, they're looking, throwing up the cons, they're saying that Marvel Studios' brand has hit several bumps on the road of late, despite Guardians of the Galaxy generating strong legs. Initial 118.4 million debut was seen as something of a low-end performance for a well-established brand and beloved sub-franchise. Franchise is quite simply miles away from the zeitgeist capturing interest and enormous goodwill for that at a time helped every film achieve blockbuster status like Captain Marvel did four years ago. The Guardians came in the wake of Ant-Man and the Wasp. I mean, those movies they make. Quantumanium? Quantanium? Okay. Dividing many fans and barely doubling its domestic debut with a 214.5 million final tally, which, again, at that price point, they're losing money. Because these things are... There's so much CGI used. There's so much computing technology. There's so much editing. I can't imagine the editing cost on these films. It all adds up. And that's part of the issue that Disney has is their, their films are just so bloated with cost. The only conceivable way they can make an ROI, which they don't, or positive ROI, is by having ridiculously high box office success. And they don't. Now, it looks like social media traction for the Marvels has been noticeably weak in recent months, compounded by concerns for the ongoing SAG-AFRA labor strike. 
So because of that strike, we cannot have Brie Larson come promote the film, which is a shame because I hear she's a person, apparently. Maybe an actress, perhaps? Another great thing about Hollywood on strike, there's a lot less squawking in the news. There's a lot less celebrities complaining. It's kind of, it's kind of pretty nice, I'm not going to lie. I, I can't help but wonder how many people really care that there's less volume of stuff coming from Hollywood these days. It'd be a shame if this strike just lasted forever as they fight against the inevitability of AI replacing most of their jobs since, let's be honest, those big box office movies coming from Disney these days are the embodiment of a photocopy. And a fun little example of life, photocopy metaphor, if you take a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy, every time you do that, the image degrades and gets worse over time, very similar to Disney films in general, as they don't seemingly are out of original ideas, so they just copy, 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 and the quality gets worse and worse and worse. So why not just have a computer do that because you're just doing the same thing again and again? That's the perfect use case for AI is going to be Hollywood. Now, it'll be interesting to see, and again, now there are many suspecting that it's not going to do great because it has, what is this, a female as a lead actress? Which perhaps, I was going to say, there's a different, it's one of those things where there are some great movies that have female leads. I think probably the best one would be Underworld was a couple years back, and then Resident Evil. I think those, and then of course Alien is the you know iconic one that people talk about the most. But I don't know if they can necessarily blame this on that specific variable. Um, I think I don't know if it's just because they're lazy and doing a copy of Captain America. Although for all I know, no, no, this might be an original comic book. They made so many throughout the years. It's hard to say what's original these days or what isn't. And they're saying for the trends. Now they say, quote, bearing out all these concerns, initial pre-sales are alarmingly low for a Marvel Studios film. Trends are currently 69% behind the pace of Guardians of Guardians Volume 3, 72% behind Quantanium, and 42% behind Eternals. Which, I had to Google half those terms because... I didn't know if they were magic trading cards or if they were films. But those are, in fact, films that I just mentioned. And, again, I don't know who the hell, who pre-orders for a movie? I remember we used to do that for video games back in the day because they'd give you a tchotchke or a knick-knack. The Call of Duty gave you, like, a flag in one case and some little remote-controlled toys. But do people do that for films? I know, I know they do, but do you? Like, I've never met anyone who's done that before. The exception of, I know some folks who did do that for Sound of Freedom. I can't help but wonder who the heck is doing that for a Marvel film. So it'll be interesting to see. It looks like they're on track to, of course, lose money on this, but I guess perhaps that's a better question in terms of what are the Las Vegas odds for a Disney film making money? I mean, certainly it's not 0%, but it might be 0.000000073%, maybe? Similar to a like ratio for a Bud Light tweet. Let me know in the comments. Do you think this movie will shock everyone and actually turn out to be a big hit? Makes a lots, lots of money and Disney will be able to reap a profit for the first time in ages? Or do you think it's just going to subsequently crash and burn like seemingly most things in Hollywood these days? It'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek's critique on Lindsey Graham's pro-war interview goes viral, getting one million views in one day. Not to brag, but I did get 
18 views on the Twitter last week when I was telling people about the free 37 millimeter flare launcher with every 37K purchase for topic technologies. For me, I'd say that's pretty viral. I would also argue quality over quantity. The most awesome 18 people in the world saw that tweet, I'm sure. Or ex post, whatever you want to call it. Nevertheless, going back to the real news with Vivek, and this is, he has a little text before the actual video. And if you do have suggestions for video and video technology production software, I'd appreciate it because I've tried a couple, still having issues finding one that will reliably work when I'm making these productions. Now, the text before this interview, Vivek says, quote, This feels a lot like 2022. Young people today wonder how the U.S. ended up in no-win wars in Iraq and Afghanistan for decades after 9-11. Open your eyes, and now you know we must learn from the mistakes of the past or we will be destined to repeat them in the future, unquote. And I got 1 million views in a single day. And that is in response to this Lindsey Graham interview, and it looks like it was done on Meet the Press. So without further ado, we'll and I, we'll take a look at Lindsey Graham. Let me ask you about Iran, Senator. The broader region, of course. You said this week that the only way to keep the war from escalating is to hold Iran accountable, part yes. of what you're talking about now, <laughs> and that it might mean bombing their oil refineries. Yeah. Have you had any discussions with the Biden administration about this? Uh, a bit. Uh, I want to applaud President Biden for his strong statement in support of Israel. I just got off the phone to the Israelis. Uh, their goal is to destroy Hamas in the south and try to save as many innocent Palestinians as possible to prevent escalation north from Hezbollah. Here's my message. If Hezbollah, which is a proxy of Iran, launches a massive attack on Israel, I will consider that a threat to the, um, to, to the state of Israel, existential in nature. I will introduce a resolution in the United States Senate to allow military action by the United States in conjunction with Israel to knock Iran out of the oil business. Iran, if you escalate this war, we're coming for you. Are you effectively poised to declare war on Iran? That's very strong language. I, I am poised to use military force to destroy the source of funding for Hamas and Hezbollah. The idea that Iran read about this operation in the paper or on television is laughable. 93% of Hezbollah and Has, uh, Hamas's money comes from Iran. They're the source of the problem. They're the great evil. So if Hezbollah escalates against Israel, it will be because Iran told them to. Then Iran, you're in the crosshairs of the United States and Israel. Now, interestingly enough, in terms of Lindsey Graham, I can't help but wonder how many years ago is he a member of the Graham Cracker family? I'm pretty sure that's Pretty sure that's Hibisco? Who owns them? Who invented the graham cracker? Sylvester Graham in 1794 invented the graham cracker. I do not believe he's related to Lindsey Graham, so I'm not saying he gets an F for marketing and for last name, but it's kind of silly to be named after a food or, or something like that. It's almost as bad as topping. Oh, wait. Nevertheless, I wonder, in terms of a Republican nominee, Vivek calling this out is a little bit more of a contrarian move. Now, it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments. I wonder what the comments are here. Good, bad, happy, sad. Usually overwhelmingly supportive of Vivek. I think they... I think it'll be lower than usual. I think it'll be 50-50. I think it'll be a split comment ratio. Let's find out and dive right in. 
Let's see here. First comment. First most popular. Eh, no, very first comment is from Stace Riley saying, quote, Hello, Lindsey Graham. Your 2002 foreign policy is calling, unquote, getting 22 likes. The first response that got the most likes is Banshi saying, quote, it feels nothing like 2002. No one is talking about going to war except Lindsey Graham, and he's always talking about it, unquote. He got 156 likes. Somebody named Vince Dow saying, 100%, what's even sadder is seeing conservatives who claim to get it now falling for the exact same thing again, unquote. And he got 41 likes. Let's see here. One of the other top comments here. Not as many hearts as usual or likes. Somebody named Justin of Earth One saying, quote, Why does anyone even talk to Lindsey Graham? Honestly, it's beyond me, unquote. Getting 11 likes. Which, yeah, this is probably the first time we've talked about him on the show. Not saying Lindsey Graham is terrible at marketing, but the fact he is not on the campaign trail when he is campaigning with himself holding a bag of graham crackers is beyond me. And how that's not a meme already is beyond me as well. I'm not encouraging anyone to do that and then post it ridiculously on LinkedIn on the Twitter that would not at all be hilarious. Nevertheless, other comments include uh, let's see here. Mike Max and quote, temporary airport restrictions are not permanent. We haven't learned anything in twenty years, unquote, gained seventeen likes. It is yeah, it's one of those things where geez, if you were if you ever if you ever had the opportunity to fly an airplane before nine eleven the stark contrast in service is ridiculous to say the least. Let's just say every time you go to the airport now, you have the TSA, which is just theater security. They're effect- they're about as effective as the U.S. government. They missed 99% of threats when they were last tested by a third party where they had people sneaking stuff on planes that wasn't supposed to be there. Needless to say, you're kind of sad how your freedoms are all stripped as soon as you have to go to the airport. But yeah, prior to 9-11, it was, you didn't have to get to the airport two hours early. I'll just say that much. And the TSA didn't steal your stuff all back in the day as well. Let's see. A lot of hidden... Let's see here. Uh, Albert Latham saying, quote, I remember Vivek and I supported and argued for those open-ended wars way too long, way after the sand turned into quagmire, unquote, getting 11 likes. Barons Von M saying, quote, LG is a sick man who gets high on wars, unquote. She got 11 likes as well. Let's see here. Now, I don't know if this is true in terms of, I don't know what his stock holdings are or what his stock positions are, but someone by the name of Ahmed Makadil saying, quote, he loves wars. And it's a picture of Lindsey Graham with all the logos of the top six defense contractors them being Lockheed, Raytheon, General Dynamics, L3, L3 Technologies, Northrop Grumman, and Boeing. They got 29 likes. Some by the name of Amy Doc Chai saying, quote, I love our military. That is why I don't want to create more war, peace through strength, rational use of force, negotiation first. These simple ideas should not be controversial, unquote. She got 11 likes. A to the space says, quote, it feels choreographed. This is all coming at a time where public support for funding the Ukraine has faltered, unquote, getting 27 likes. Let's see here. 
And there's a lot. Let's see here. Uh, a lot of people saying what he made sense. What he says makes sense to me. A lot of people saying agreed, getting one to three likes. A lot of people saying exactly. So interesting enough, a lot more support. A lot more support than I previously projected. I'd say. Hmm. I still say seventy percent are in support of what Vivek is saying. Or actually, more than that. Yeah, I'd actually say it's about, about the same ratio as usual. It'll be interesting to see. It is fascinating to see throughout my lifetime how certain political parties used to be quote-unquote pro-war or anti-war. And now it seems like I really don't trust party affiliations. I always say if you're going to vote for someone, they don't really trust that little letter next to their name. Look at what their voting patterns actually are since nowadays, I was going to say, there's a lot more nuances when it comes to their actual voting patterns and what they're standing for. So it'll be interesting to see if this is, again, this is becoming a huge political topic. How will the rest of the Republican candidates stand on it? And will it be a divisive issue that helps people go ahead or decrease in the polls for the Republican nominee for the presidential election next year? It'll be interesting. Let me know in the comments. Do you think Vivek will be the only one with his take? And the fact that he doesn't have a t-shirt or a mug or some type of swag that says Vivek's take is beyond me. Because that would just be brilliant marketing. Not A plus, but perhaps B B B plus or B idea. I'd say let me know in the comments. Would you buy a t-shirt that says Vivek's take or something like that? I can't think that'd be brilliant. But that's that's just my three cents. Used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation should I just gotta be three cents. Should be four cents, but I'm a generous man, but just three cents for my opinion today. Though it is still free to click the subscribe button below. Or to the side or up. I don't know how your phone is oriented. Or in this or your PC if you're actually sitting down and watching this on the computer. Either way, click that button. Much appreciated. Other interesting political news, you have US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying the USA can afford to give money to both Israel and Ukraine since the economy is doing so well. Really? Now the USA since October 2023, this month, we've given the Ukraine government not $5 million, not $5 billion, not $50 billion, not $100 billion. We've given them $113 billion thus far in a mixture between cash, weapons, and other hard materials such as medical and food. A total compensation package of $113 billion is Quite a bit of change, indeed. Now, some might, some might critique Janet Yellen for looking like a human bird or a very decrepit old bird. Some might do that. I would be never, never be so crass to compare her from D to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Although, I think many people would say D from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a little bit more, a little bit higher mental IQ capacity. Now. In the USA, if you're watching the whole show, so you're watching the full episode today, we just talked about three companies. The whole business section of the podcast today was talking about businesses who are laying people off because of the economic uncertainty and the inflation that our government, including her, caused. And when we had 40-year hyperinflation after we printed more money than ever printed before under both Biden and Trump, she goes, oh yeah, I didn't think that would happen. Whoopsies. Her response was a glorified whoops. And in true government passion, she still has her job. 
because again, being held accountable or actually being measured by doing a good job, that, that's just too crazy of an idea to have for the public sector in this, in, especially when it comes to DC. Ridiculous to say the least. Now, it looks like she's saying, oh yeah, we, we just have so much money. Again, how much, that actually is a good reminder. What's the debt clock up to these days? Last time I checked, there's more trillions than you can count. It's almost become a cliche. Republicans and Democrats used to be, well, I was going to say, who knows if they were really fiscally responsible, but a lot of them used to ironically campaign on the fact that we're going to get this country back better fiscally. And none of them do, because most of them are too cowardice to actually say the big elephant in the room, or big donkey in the room, whatever you want to say, is that the entitlement programs are bankrupting the United States. As well as things like Social Security, which is a Ponzi scheme. By definition, just look up a Ponzi scheme, it's the same thing. And it all comes with the same kernel of idea, they think the government could do a better job than you can. Which has never been, I can't think of a single time in history that's ever been true. Social Security being a great example, and as well as many entitlement programs. Which is why I think you should just have no taxes and have it done in terms of entitlement programs of helping people. It's infinitely more effective done on a local and religious level. So if you have a local community in your neighborhood or a local religious affiliation, I believe those methodologies are the most effective ways to help people temporarily. But that's just my three cents for the moment. Although thanks to the debt clock, it might as well be 20 million cents because it keeps going up. The current debt clock, and again, this can be edited so it'll be you know a couple hours off, and it just keeps going up and up and up. I've yet to see it go down. We may have to sell off Hawaii or something like that to get creative. Now, the current U.S. debt, national debt is $33,564,510,600,000. No, $150,000,000. $300,000, it goes up that quick. Ridiculous to say the least. And yet they think they can do a better job than you. Ridiculous. Now, it looks like she said, quote, America could certainly afford to stand with Israel and, and to support Israel's military needs. And we could also and must support Ukraine in its struggle against Russia, unquote. This is from an interview she had with Sky News earlier this week on Monday. She continues to say, and look, the American economy is doing extremely well. Inflation has been high and has been a concern to households and it's come down considerably. At the time, we have the strongest labor market we've seen in 50 years with 3.8% unemployment, unquote. Well, that's also because very much like inflation, they keep messing with the metrics to make themselves look good. Both sides do this on Flickr a lot, by the way. It's one of those things where, oh yeah, infl you think inflation is bad. It's actually worse than you think because it doesn't take certain key things into account. And I believe some of those things are actually food and gasoline, which again, are the things you need to live. And don't get wise with me. If you have a Tesla, you still have to pay for electricity. And it's usually coming from a coal plant or natural gas plant. So you're, and uh, by the way, all your products get to you from a diesel truck, also known as a semi-truck. So your groceries go up twofold, not just because of inflation, because of the price of fuel and the tax, federal tax on fuel as well. Now, she did acknowledge in saying, quote, it's really up to the House to set a speaker and put us in a position where legislation can be passed. It shows that there's a problem with the Republican Party in terms of being able to effectively govern a nation, a country, and it is important that we pass legislation, unquote. Now, Biden also expressed his commitment to support both Israel and Ukraine during a 60-minute interview. 
Now, Biden's like, allegedly, I was going to say, it's one of those fascinating, concerning things in terms of governments. You're only, in terms of transcripts and especially the White House records, you're supposed to actually transcribe it directly as they're said by the president. That's not what happens anymore. So I say this, take this with a grain of salt or perhaps a truckload of salt, which is not good for your health because too much sodium. Nevertheless, Biden said, quote, we are the United States of America, for God's sake, the most powerful nation in the country, powerful nation in the history, not in the world, in the history of the world. We can take care of both these things and still maintain our our overall internal internal defense, unquote. Which, no, you absolutely cannot. If you ever play a game of Risk or just have 18 brain cells or more, resource allocation is a real thing. United States, military speaking, really, the only thing saving the United States right now is the defense industry and the technology, really. It's one of those issues where in terms of recruiting numbers, the only branch that hit their numbers recently is the Marines. Everyone else is not hitting the recruitment numbers. They haven't for years, in spite of lowering the bar more and more and more, as well, not just for the physical standards for the people who are attempting to get in the military, but also lowering the number of recruits that they're trying to get. So they're lowering the goals and lowering the metrics in every way possible and still struggling. It's a huge issue. No one is talking about the United States in terms of the youth not being healthy, not being patriotic. There's a myriad of reasons, a myriad of things we need to change in order to address that long-term issue. By the short term, we have a resource allocation issue and i'm not saying we shouldn't support israel i'm saying i don't know how much resources i don't believe the government understands that they have a finite number of resources in this particular issue and in terms of which country is giving the united states more of a benefit throughout the years again well, i know ukraine makes some porsche parts so that's that's an upside but since israel there's a much more a much greater argument, I believe, in terms of international relations of what the U.S. has benefited, for, benefited from, I would say specifically the defense industry since there's a very big symbiotic relationship. One of the largest defense manufacturers on the planet is Elbit Systems. In the United States, they're actually headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. They're most well-known for making the F-35 Lightning II helmet, which is a revolutionary piece of technology. It's all carbon fiber. It gives you the full immersive experience where if the pilot actually looks down, they don't see their feet or anything. They actually see below the airplane. It was a very revolutionary idea, subsequently costing about $420,000 per unit. That does take into account the research and development costs. It's not just the cost of materials. But there's a lot of sharing of military technology, sharing military assets. I don't, again, the argument with Ukraine in terms of that relationship, I think there's a greater argument to be said in terms of where you allocate resources and it would make more sense to support Israel over Ukraine. Now, again, play any game ever or any own a business, do any scenario, you have limited resources. So I don't know what you, uh, granted, we know it's Janet Yellen, so, but do you think it's possible to support all these initiatives at the same time without having a trade-off? And a very wise man, someone infinitely smarter than me, Tom Sewell once said famously, there's no such thing as solutions there are only trade-offs because again if you're going to have you have this amount of resources giving this much here well if you want to get more here you got you have to move it around so i don't know what the resource allocation is going to look like going forward but in terms of the most blatant thing i i about this whole thing is the government saying that the economy economy is great and we can afford everything which do you think the economy is doing good right now does anyone I can't but think this should be the political blunder of the day. Don't get me wrong. If we did, 
we just talk about political blunders, we'd be here, oh shoot, till the, cow, till the cows, cows come home, so to say. It's just one of those things where DC is really good at messing up, although they keep getting more money every year and giving themselves raises subsequently. But let me know in the comments, do you, does anyone agree with John Yellen on the state of the economy? And then how do you think the funding will work? Where's it gonna come from? How is our resource allocation gonna break down for this, um, this terrible conflict? It'll be interesting to see, but yeah, in terms of Janet Yellen, she is just further highlighting, I believe, her vast resume of ineptitudes. And yet, she still gets paid more money than I'm sure most people can possibly fathom. So let me know in the comments. Do you want me, should we call it a political blunder of the day or should we do something like that? Or I guess that would just be politics in general for the most part. So it'll be interesting to see how the resource allocation breaks down. And as I say, time shall tell. Now going on to the business blunder of the day, you have Rite Aid filing for bankruptcy after a myriad of lawsuits. Now, looks like in 2022, Rite Aid settled for up to 30 million to resolve lawsuits alleging pharmaceuticals, or the pharmacies rather, had contributed to the overall oversupply of prescription opioids. They mentioned that they reached an agreement with its creditors on a financial restructuring plan to cut its debt and position itself for future growth, so the bankruptcy filing was part of the process. Now, as of last Sunday, Rite Aid had $134 million in cash and ability to borrow up to $300 million, and they had $520 million in liquidity. Now, they noted that Rite Aid had found itself in a weak financial position, noting, notching roughly $2.8 billion in losses over the past six years and $3.3 billion in long-term debt. This is going to global retail analyst Neil Saunders earlier this week, which can help us see maybe perhaps another parallel between General Motors, where they're making profits, but they have a lot of long-term debt. And well, I was going to say, perhaps a good example, the U.S. government, eventually the bills come up for due. The U.S. government hasn't yet. That's going to be a big point of contention. And eventually Americans will have to deal with that fact. And unfortunately, it's going to hurt a lot of people who are have a little bit of savings in their accounts and inflation is going to dwindle what buying power it has. Now, it'll be interesting to see what was such a vast empire of Rite Aid, will they be able to bounce back from this or how will they emerge from bankruptcies? It's one of those things where we talk about a lot of business blunders on the show. For a lot of companies, they try to come back from bankruptcy and depending on how it's structured, they just come back for a very short fleeting amount of time. Perhaps one of the most, I would say, perhaps pertinent examples being Toys R Us because I have one of the signs behind me where, again, they went bankrupt, they came they were, they were bought out by private equity. They survived for a little bit, then they went bankrupt again. And of course, now they're trying a third time, but it's not it's not the same company. It's a different company that bought out the intellectual property behind them. So it'll be interesting to see, but in terms of having such a morally depraved position in terms of contributing to the opioid crisis in the United States and going bankrupt, right in that has to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone again for taking the time to tune in. We're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of October. So if you could click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, all the comments are greatly appreciated as well. We try to make the show better and better together. Don't forget to take the time to like the video because it might help with the algorithm. It seems to change on a daily basis of how the magical wizards at YouTube recommend videos or not. But what helps the channel even more out is if you just take the time, and I do appreciate it, take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, just stay safe and fight the good fight.